Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Robbie, so good to have you on tonight. Uh, this is a self-serving thing. Caleb and I are going to uh, the Sand Hills of Nebraska, and we could probably go to other places that might even offer some more opportunity, but uh, it's part of the romance of it, right? You go to this iconic place. Um, they call it the Last Prairie, and uh, I am a person who works in the prairie industry. I grow and sell native plants and um, on large scale for prairie restorations. And, uh, so going to the Sandhills Prairie is like a, you know, a, a very special thing for people that care about prairies to do. Um, and I've only been there once I drove through in eighth grade and, uh, that was a long time ago <laughs> and I did not appreciate it for what it was then. <laughs> I just wanted to get to, uh, wherever we were going. Uh, so you've been there though, a few times here recently, and, uh, maybe I, I know we have at least one listener, uh, a guy who's kind of become a friend of mine and, uh, uh, is going to be a friend of Caleb's here this spring cause we're going shed hunting with him out there. But, um, I bet a lot of people don't know hardly a thing about the Sandhill. So can you kind of describe for us what the Sandhill prairie landscape is like? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I mean it's it's exactly what it says. It's a it's a bunch of hills and it's it's all sand and you know it's it's a grassland. Um, it doesn't. The thing about that terrain is it doesn't look that difficult. Like you 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 look at it, they look like they're rolling hills, and um, you think, oh, that's that's not that bad. And I've even people have seen my videos or seen pictures that I've taken. Um, they look at it and like, oh, that's probably not that bad hiking out there. But um, the hills they're they're a lot steeper than they look for one. But two, mm. you're climbing in sand. Yeah. So imagine you know trying to hike with hiking boots on the beach um for miles and miles at a time but up and down hills and that you know that's not real easy and um it, it wears on you a lot quicker than you realize um now of course i mean you, you're taking breaks you stop you glass and that kind of stuff but um but still like the pack outs like that that first video i think was about four miles from the truck and that was one of the most brutal pack outs i've had and uh it's wow. just because that that sand i mean every time you take a step you sink or five inches you feel like you can oh, climb really? hill. so wow uh, depending on where you're at yeah i mean there's some places where the grass is a little thicker than others but there's other places where it's just sand and yeah it can be pretty pretty uh, tiresome wow i didn't realize that the so i yeah i mean like you said it's in the name but but um i figured it would be more stable than that but man that could really sap you that's like walking yeah through. i mean it, yeah, and, and a beach is probably a little I'm exaggerating a little too much. It's not that, but it's still though. I mean, it it moves, it shifts. Um, you know, it's it's definitely not as as solid as as you would think it would. Just to look at it, it just looks mm -hmm. like a grassland, but it's definitely yeah, it'll definitely shift on you. Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. Um, but something I'm still excited for, you know, just to get into that diverse habitat and um, just to you know experience something that's totally different than what we're used to. Uh, here, but no, uh, the reason, uh, Caleb and I came across Robbie is because we have been, well, I guess we've been following each other on Instagram for a while now. Um, which is really cool. 
I probably even liked your uh, pictures way back when you, uh, you know, harvested those, those animals that we're going to talk about tonight. But, but, um, we've been like eating up every bit of YouTube content we can get on specifically the late muzzleloader hunt, um, that goes on in Nebraska in the Sandhills of Nebraska. And, um, we came across your videos and, um, I bet I've watched, I mean, I don't think you could get to 10 videos, at least not high quality enough where YouTube really promotes it. Um, there's, there's probably, I don't know, you know, seven or eight videos and, um, uh, yours is the best one that I've seen. And, uh, there's some, there's some big names that have put some content and they were good too and everything. But I think just from seeing the process, and not just getting like a kill shot and like, okay, it's over. Um, you know, seeing the whole development up to, um, you know, punching your tag. That was, you know, very educational is, is exactly what we needed. And so, um, I was telling, I was telling my wife, she was sitting there, uh, uh she was, uh, she likes to knit and crochet and do that kind of stuff. And, and uh, I'm like, man, this is this is a really good video. And I kept rewinding parts and and going back and rewatching to pick up the the info. And I even said this. I was like, this guy's a good hunter. I said that out loud to her. If she was here, she's at work right now. But if she was here, I'd have her come on right now and confirm that. But but uh, y- you you knew what you were doing. Um, uh, the the thing that I really appreciated was uh, how you. Uh, really got close to the ground on your stock. And um, I think whether it be in the Sandhills or whether it be here in Iowa where Caleb and I are at, when people are trying to make a move on an animal, that is one thing that I think they, uh, like, because it's uncomfortable to, like, really Mm -hmm. crouch or even crawl or whatever you got to do, they just try and like run, you know what I mean? And they, they blow it, you know, it's like, yeah. no, just the, the, the hardest part is, is in place for you right now, which is having an animal to make a move on. Don't blow it by, and, and your, your stock was, was perfect. And, um, it actually is really amazing how close you got to the mule deer in your 2021 hunt. Uh, so can you kind of just walk us through that process and of course uh if you want to say the name of the film uh for for our listeners to go check it out in fact i'll you know i'll post the link i've been doing that uh for videos that i found especially uh um impactful i will share the link in the show notes so if you're listening to this uh go ahead after you're done tuning in click on the show notes and uh, pull up this youtube link i'm putting on there for his 2021 um, mule deer hunt, but can you kind of take us through that story, Robbie, just, uh, you know, maybe from, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, let's just go from the day you got from, from that day specifically when you showed up to start your hunt, how that all went down. Yeah. Well, first I'll just say thanks because on the, your comments about the video, you know, I have no expertise, no back. I have a, my wife, when I first started filming the kids, bought me this little handy cam and I've got an old GoPro like Hero 4. Okay. So <laughs> I, have, I have no nice. clue what I'm doing. So <laughs> when you said that, I felt free. That I appreciated that. But um, but yeah, that hunt, I actually, I had been, see, I, I had 
been hunting public land whitetails for a while. Um, I got into hunting late. Mm-hmm. I didn't start hunting until I was in my late twenties. Awesome, and, man. Uh, You're perfect for yeah, the first gen that's hunter. That's why. Well, I know when you, when I, cause like you said, we followed each other and I'm like, yeah, I love this guy. I mean, I, I had seen you on Instagram. I've listened to some of your podcasts, especially on lane management. I bought um, some hunting property a couple years awesome. ago. Listen to this podcast, but anyway, um, so I got into hunting late. I've been hunting public land whitetails for a while, but been wanting to get out West and that year, I really wanted to go on an elk hunt. It just didn't work out my schedule. You know, I told you earlier, I work in a school system. It's it's kind of hard to find that time when you work in a school mm, system. Definitely. And so I just started looking for things, places I could go and came across that Nebraska, um, that Nebraska hunt. And it was over the counter. They have a limited number of tags, but it's first come, first serve. And I think they're out already this year. So yep. um, if you've missed out on that muzzle litter tag, it's already gone. We, we know the we know the guys who got uh, two of the last yeah. four. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but good for Down you. The wire. Well, I, I, yeah, we'll be out there too. I'm taking awesome. my son this year. Yeah, he's going on his first on. first one. So anyway, I found that and um, it felt it was at a time where I could go and just took off and went. And um, so, I mean, I think like a lot of guys do when you go to a place time. Um, did a lot of e-scouting like you guys are doing. I was watching YouTube videos, uh, listening to podcasts and, and you're right. There's not much out there on the sand Hills. Uh, mm-hmm. it's extremely hard. So I'm listening to these podcasts about hunting mule deers and, and mule deer. And, and really all I'm getting from it is their behavior, but it's their behavior in the mountains. So I still don't know how much that's going to translate when I get there. So, right. um, I had a plan and basically my plan, you know, I got out there, like I said, it, to look at it, you don't realize it, but some of those, there are some really high points there. You get on, you get on Onyx or whatever you're using, you can see that. And that was basically my plan was just to hit those high points to get up in glass. And I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never been, I called it, I think in the video, uh, my first Western hunt. And I know yeah. I, I've been made the same comment. Yeah. Like most people don't consider Nebraska Western hunt, but you that's know, true. I, I never hunted on outside of, you know, West of Ohio. So, um, so for me, it was, it was spot and stalk was something I'd never done. And, and that's, you know, everything I'd heard or watched online, you know, it's what you do. You find a glassing point, you know, um, and, but I've learned a lot, you know, it's, it's one of the, and you guys know this every day you learn, um, you learn something new every day you get boots on the ground. You just, you, you pick stuff up and, um, so yeah, I got there that day. Um, you know, and, um, hit my first spot, didn't see a deer, um, hit a second spot and I came across, actually I saw some, some does, um, from different, from that first to the second glassing point and got to the second one. I picked up some more and they were both muleys, um, or they were all muleys, but I'd probably seen in the first group, I think there were like four or five, maybe a spike was in there. In the second group, there were like eight or nine and hadn't seen a, a legal buck, but um, it was still first day, first morning. So then I moved, I saw those deer actually at the second glassing point uh, headed where I knew there was water. And I know, I mean, you guys know anything about mule, muleys aren't like whitetail, like a whitetail, mm. even out there. Cause I shot a whitetail the second year I went, um, they pattern a lot like they do over here. You know, they're going to move from water to water and you mm. can, you can pretty much count on that. Muleys aren't like that. Um, they'll go days without water sometimes mm. and, uh, they'll go long distances. And so I knew there was water there though. So I was like, well, I'm going to follow them, um, at least the direction, the general direction they were headed and go up to the next ridge to the next, to another spot. And, uh, just to see, cause I just assume may there be more deer headed in that direction. So I got up there and, um, you know, I came across him pretty quickly. It didn't take long to see it. He was, I mean, you guys saw him and I, uh, we were talking earlier before we started at first, I didn't feel like he was a big deer because of what I'd seen online. But, you <laughs> yeah. know, afterwards I kind of realized for that area he was, but you know, his rack, I mean, it was hard to miss. Um, yeah. 
and and he was doing uh, and this is the thing I've I've noticed because I know you guys are looking at going out there. Um, the whitetails, they like I said, they pattern pretty easily. They what I've noticed is the muleys, uh, they love to get on those really. He was basically on another glassing point. Okay. And he was really high and he was on that leeward side. So the wind was, you know, the wind coming over the top over his back. So he mm-hmm. could, and he could yeah. just see everything in front of him and pretty much all the muleys I've come across out there. That's what they're doing. Um, the whitetails don't seem to be as high as the muleys out there. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I spotted him and I waited because at first I couldn't tell. I remember now I, I couldn't tell if he was a whitetail or a muley because I made a, you talk about people just getting into hunting. I made one of those, uh, early hunter mistakes. I went real cheap on my, my spotting scope. Mm-hmm. I could not tell. I couldn't see a thing. <laughs> I just knew it was a nice rack and couldn't tell. So I had to get a little closer before I could really tell. Um, and I, I corrected that before I went back out the next year. Yeah, a nicer scope. But, uh, anyway, uh, realized he was a muley and, and just made a plan. He was, there was a nice big drainage between us and I, I kind of carved a, a smaller drainage up the hill that I'd planned to get where I thought would be within shooting distance. And, just dropped down in and I got up in that drainage and started getting to where I knew I was going to crest and see him soon. So I got down and started crawling and uh, there was some brush there. I was able to use to, to crawl behind till I got to where I could get a shot and uh, he was bedded. And so I waited for a little while because if, you know, if he was standing, it would have been quartering away from me, which would have been a great shot, but um, he was bedded and he kept putting his head down. And when he would do that, it would kind of roll his body down into the ground. So I kept wet back up and, took a shot um that first one and i hit him a little high it didn't mm-hmm. um you know he he stood up if you've watched the video he just kind of stood up and looked around and at first I, I thought i missed him um but he didn't move i mean he's i can't remember it felt like at the time it felt like it was an hour that that deer stood mm-hmm. it was probably like yeah. five or ten minutes though but it was a long time and he didn't move he just looked he had no clue what happened and so i just waited and um i was on the ground like it's a muzzle loader. So it's not like you just pull the chamber and uh, yep. right, yep. chamber new, chambering around or anything. Yeah. Yep. So I'm like laying down behind this little piece of brush trying to, you know, load my next round and he never saw me and the wind helped. I think my sound, the wind was pretty rough. If I remember the wind was like sure. 30 miles an hour that day. Wow. And um, anyway, so I got reloaded. He finally turned and he actually started walking, not right at me, but he was walking left to right, but toward me. Um, and so it closed a little bit of the distance, about 10 or 15 yards, if I remember right. And um, he was broadside and just paused. And, you know, the second shot, he was standing away, had a great shot and just dropped him. And he spun a couple of times, I think, and ran over the hill and fell. And, um, man, yeah, it was pretty, it, it was, I remember, you don't see this on the video, but um, it didn't hit me. You know, I, 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 you know, quartered him up and stuff, packed him out, half of him that night. And then I went back to the next morning for the rest. And, um, went back to the hotel. I'd got a hotel that night and, um, could, um, called my wife on the way home the next morning. And, um, I just remember that was when it was real. I was like, I didn't, I didn't none of it had really yeah. felt like it had happened sure. yet until then. And I was talking to her on the phone and, and I just had to pause because to me, that was the greatest thing I'd ever done. Cause yeah, I, like I was going to ask never you had that. that. Yeah. I'd never done that. Yeah. In the hunt, so, yeah. um, yeah, it yeah. was pretty cool. I was yeah. pretty proud of that. As, as a first gen hunter, you you have those moments where it yeah it's like man that was because you know it's one thing like for for me the first deer i ever harvested was i had help from a mentor which was awesome and i would encourage every other first gen hunter out there if you can 
you know, latch on to a mentor for your first season or two and get their guidance and take you, help you through the process. Absolutely do that. And so I don't want to take anything away from that experience, but you know, at some point the fledgling has to uh, jump out of the nest and, um, you know, I've, I've definitely had some nice successful moments, um, you know, with deer since then, but, um, I think it was this spring when I, uh, uh, got my first Turkey and that was on public land that I had kind of scouted, you know, and, and, uh, just (laughs) kind of like what we're doing now, I talked to the right person, Uh, you know, Heath Rayfield is, uh, I'd put him up against any Turkey hunter on the planet right now. And, uh, I had him on the podcast and he said a few things and he's been on the podcast probably five or six times, but just the way he described a few things this, this time, it just clicked. And I put those principles into action. And, uh, like you said, it's like when it set in, it's like, this is, this is the greatest accomplishment I've had as a hunter, you know, to this point. And, and for you to do that with, you know, so far from home on public land by yourself with a mule deer, um, I just think is, is phenomenal, man. That's, that's, uh, that, you're a great hunter. There, there's no, there's no, there's no way yeah, around that. that. Agreed. Uh, like I said, I appreciate that. And, you know, I told you the other day when you had asked me to be on here, you, you know, you said you were more focused on perspective and expertise. I don't feel like that. I have a lot of expertise to offer. You well, know, I'm, I'm like good. everybody else. I'm trying <laughs> to learn. And I meant what I said, you learn every day you're out there. And, that's right. And, you know, I've like you, I have friends that I relied on and asked questions, but, um, at some point you just got to go do it. And that's really why I did that year. I just see, you know what I'm doing? I'm going out West somewhere and it didn't work mm-hmm. out. My schedule would go anywhere else. I didn't have any points built yet mm-hmm. or anything like that for elk or anything like that. Sure. So I found that, huh? I said, I'm doing it. I'm just going to go do it. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's awesome. And, uh, let's talk about, uh, your almost West hunt that's coming up here in Iowa after we're done with this call here. But, uh, I'm sure Caleb and I'd be happy to hook you up. So, uh, that's, uh, that's really just an awesome, uh, awesome story there. And we're going to dive into it some more here in the nitty gritty on, you know, things, trends that you've learned. I think there's some advantage when we talk about this, when you are talking with a first gen hunter, because when you're and and I think everybody goes through a first gen hunter phase of sorts, Caleb and I have had this conversation. He grew up in a mm-hmm. hunting home, but he, in a way, as far as bow hunting goes, was kind of a first gen hunter when it came to bow hunting. He kind of got his dad into it, right. and um, and uh, has in a way, you know, his dad taught him the earliest phases of hunting, and now Caleb's kind of in a way coaching him up on some of the finer points of of archery hunting. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, but I think when we have those first gen moments, um, and I'm not just talking about success, just learning moments. I think it almost sticks with us better because it's not polluted with um, other th- other things that we've been, you know, we've always grown up with. Or, you know, it's kind of like take it to a classroom standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got a kid who's been taught the wrong way how to how to get to a maybe the right answer, well, that's only going to get him so far. When when the difficulty of that math problem. Uh, increases if he's been getting there the long way or the hard way he's going to he's he's gonna run into a wall at some point but when you learn it the right way the first time um 
it, you, I think you can just take it a lot further and you can, uh, there's more of that plasticity. Um, that's, that's a part of the learning experience with hunting, you know? So yeah. I think, uh, I think there's some advantages there, but we're going to dive into that. See what, you know, kind of see this hunt through Robbie's eyes a little bit and get coached up by him. And, um, so, uh, I think the best place to start with is just what's to be expected when we get out to the sand hills as far as weather goes and all that stuff. And obviously we got a description of the landscape a little bit and we're going to have to feel that out for ourselves. Um, but you know, as far as weather goes, it seems like, I mean, you talked about the 30 mile an hour winds from other videos. I saw the snow can be pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. What can, what should Caleb and I expect weather wise going into this? Well, it's definitely cold. I, I, you know, last year I went was probably the mildest. I've been three years out there, and the last year was probably the mildest. And there were some days in the 40s, uh, and that's the best weather I've seen. But, um, you know, I've you know that year, I, if I remember right, it was in the low to mid 20s with those mm. high winds. And actually, I got hit. The snowstorm um, wasn't really anything in the forecast, but one just came out of nowhere the day after I shot the or not the day after the so i went back the next day to pack the second half of meat out um later that day so yeah i guess it would have been the next day a nice snowstorm came in and shut the freeways down it was actually that bad so i had to take an extra Ooh. day to get home wow because um, it was all i mean jackknife trailers all i mean it was it was bad nothing um, to stop just, wind out there just right it just across, just yeah. rolled in yeah and then two years ago i was there and we had an, some unexpected snow when i had a i had a friend with me that year and um it wasn't nearly as bad but you know it just kind of wasn't really forecast and just kind of rolled in but it's it's definitely cold there's nothing like you said to knock the wind down um you'll definitely want you know your puffers and stuff whatever you yep, you, you got yep. to knock that wind down but um uh, it can turn pretty quickly um the, the good thing i've seen though is that there's pretty good access though regardless of the different spots i've been um the roads are flat so you know if you're from southern ohio you know when, when, when we get a little bit of snow here down in and these hills, I mean, it shuts everything down. Your schools close mm-hmm. and stuff because uh, sure. the hills that it doesn't clear up very quickly, and you can't put buses on the road and that kind of stuff. But out there, it's all you know. The roads are very different, and um, you can still get around. At least get to to trailheads pretty easily. So, you know, we were able to still hunt in that snow a couple years ago, and um, it, it's you know, I like hunting in the snow. If you hunt deer, you, you or anything like that, you you know, your visibility is a little bit better um, with yeah, snow on the ground. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think there was. Uh, you'd asked me about the 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 wind. Um, I think it was two years back. Uh, we I had shot a, a whitetail that year, and the wind wasn't that bad during the day. But at night, when the temperatures dipped anyway, it picked up a lot. And then what we we were packing out, so we get up on top of the hill and we just get hammered with this wind, and we'd be looking forward to getting down into the drainages. But then you drop down there and it's just like you lose any type of thermal cover you have. I mean, it just it was like 10 degrees colder down in the bottom yeah. between the hills. So I think in, in that video with Brian, he even thought it was like nine degrees on the pack out down in the bottom and between wow. the drainages. And hmm. you're like, man, when you're the, the neither one was good. Neither You didn't have relief up high or down low. It was just yeah. it was brutal that night. But yeah, you know. man. Yeah, so it sounds like pretty extreme weather, which um, I guess, you know, doesn't really surprise me even when you, you know, hear of historical accounts of people that were living life out there. You know, that's that's kind of what they were accustomed to, yeah. was just these, these huge fluctuations from, you know, 
blistering hot summers to uh very brutal bone chilling winters and and uh you know that's part of part of what makes it mm. you know makes it a great trip too a memorable time um yeah. as of now Caleb and I are planning to camp we're going to rent um a uh hot tent from our buddy Alex Gruen sponsor of the show East West Hunts and um mm-hmm. by the way Caleb I confirm we have dibs on the hot tent uh, yeah, so, that's, I, so. saw, I saw that on the, our shared document. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> a huge, huge, big win right there. <laughs> that's right. So it has a has a little stove, which is something that, you know, here's another expectation. I know like whitetail country out there, we could probably find plenty of fuel for that little stove, um, you know, cedar branches and whatnot. But, I mean, if we're hunting on public land, I mean, theoretically, you can camp wherever you want on public land, but you're not going to want to camp too close to where the action is. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, are we, do, you, do you foresee that being a problem for us feeding that that stove if there's uh, not a lot of you know brush around and stuff? To it, it depends on. I've been in different places. Um, a lot of times, like where there are water holes, there tends to be some standing timber. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, I wouldn't say there's a lot of brush, but maybe brand. I mean, there's there's probably some stuff, especially that time of year. You fallen branches by December. There's a lot of branches mm-hmm. on the ground. So really, I think it just depends on where you're at. And, and, um, like there are places I think you'd be fine, but there are other places where you don't see a tree. You know, the closest tree is four miles away. Wow. Yeah. Um, so find a not, tree get behind yeah. it. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's no Buffalo yeah. chips laying around either. Like the pioneers got to you. Right. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Now cattle, there's some cattle. Chill. I mean, it depends on, like I said, That's different true, spots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, if you want to use that. <laughs> know what that would make the tent smell like. It's probably going to be bad enough. It'd be good cover <laughs> scent. Come on, Caleb. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, my, our oatmeal might taste a little interesting in the morning, but yeah. uh, no, yeah. that, no. So it's, it's good to get that perspective there. Um, and Caleb's got a question about e-scouting. So we'll kind of wrap that in here a little bit. Um, that's really the phase, you know, obviously we're, we're gathering Intel through YouTube mostly, um, Caleb's listened to at least one podcast. However, kind of like what you alluded to earlier, having one that totally applies to this scenario is kind of tough to come by because, um, most information, like, like if you just look up hunting mule deer or hunting deer, because then you'll get all the whitetail stuff too in the sandhills, you'll find a ton of stuff. It's mm-hmm. just that it's, you know, There's a lot of seasons, right? Are, yeah, it's yeah, you know, archery spot and stock. You know, they're mm-hmm. hunting in October, or September, or whatever the season opens out there, and um, uh, you see a lot of rifle stuff during the rut. Um, but this obviously is a, you know, a unique time in the year to to uh, be targeting that information. So. We're, we're getting what we can in those ways, but we're also doing a lot of e-scouting. And uh, did you do much of that before you went out there? I assume you did. And uh, how, how did you find that stacked up with hunting pressure once you got there? Was it like you had to go to plan, you know, J, you know, when you got there? Because every other, you know, well, parking lot was, a, was loaded. Well, like in two, I think it's good to maybe people don't do or don't know. There's only a thousand tags mm-hmm. for this hunt. Mm-hmm. That's it's true. state. That's it's point. statewide. So kind of within this too, maybe like I mean, we're choosing the the, the Sandhill Prairie area because of 
mule deer mainly like the, mm-hmm. to yeah. hunt that species is that did that play into that for you as well that's yeah that's what i was going for was because i'd never hunted anything on the white tail. so yeah i wanted to hunt mule deer specifically yeah. um yeah and so that's what drew me there it wasn't the, the hunting for now i'll tell you like you said there's only what is it you said a thousand tags statewide it's not mm-hmm. very many so hunting pressure you know i've always heard horror stories about the orange army and in, in yeah. nebraska's rifle <laughs> seasons but it's i've not experienced that at all in muzzleloader because there just mm. aren't that many tags um, yeah. i've never that's left a, a trailhead point, yeah, yeah i've never left a trailhead there because of uh hunting pressure um wow. not there well, and anyway and it's a the whole state i mean like you right know, you, you don't have to i mean that's kind of why i was wondering why you picked that area it's the same reason we are i mean yeah. just a different species and and then we've got mr prairie you know yeah, Kent, right. he's got that's he's right. got to go we got to go see that prairie you yeah know? so yeah but as far as the e-scouting goes um you know i'm, I'm kind of uh you know, I obsessive with that kind of stuff because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, it's it, at one for one, it was still new. You know, I, I've had on X, you know, I like I said, I hunt public land for whitetail. So I was familiar with, with that kind of scouting, but um, it was new. So I just wanted to be overprepared. So I just scoured and scoured and I'd had all my, my glassing spots marked and um, different trailheads and entry points. I had those ready to go just based on, on the wind and what I thought the wind was going to be or where I thought the best place to enter from the based on, cause like you said, the nothing walk knocks the wind down. So yeah. every time you walk, you're in the wind and yep. even with the Hills and you can use them to your advantage, but still, um, you know, it's so open and I probably don't know that I knew this the first trip, but I learned it pretty quickly uh, because it's so open. You're already at a disadvantage vis- in terms of visibility because they can see you right. just as easy as you mm, can see them. Right. Yeah. Um, so you definitely don't want to put the wind to their advantage yeah. Also, um, so I always try to enter, you know, dig into the wind and then glass my way in. And I'll, so what I did was I, I kind of made a little route where I'd kind of work my way into the wind and then work over with sure. the wind still in my face and keep scouting around and then kind of can work my way back to the shock at the end of the day um, or back to camp, whatever I was doing. And um, so, yeah, it's but, I, as, you know, I, I don't know if I have an, a number on hours or days, but it was a lot. You know, I spent a lot of time and. um you would think as open as it is, you might not have to do as much, but, um, you know, it, because of that, like that kind of stuff, right. That, that the wind and that kind of stuff you have to take into account. It, it takes some time. You need to put some time in beforehand. And, um, like I said, the first one worked out to my advantage. The second year we went, we didn't come across too many muleys in that, that trip when Brian went with me and, uh, we did so we came across some and, and, but no, no mature bucks that year. And I ended up shooting a whitetail and, um, we, uh, we had a I mean, same thing. We had a plan and we were basically doing what I was just describing. But the day I shot that whitetail, uh, he was not where, you know, we weren't planning. We weren't, he came from the direction when it was coming from, there was a group of them. And so we had to then move and reposition ourselves to kind of let them walk into a better position for us, just based on the way they were moving. But hmm. um, so you're always going to have to make those, you know, adjustments during the day. But my plan was, like I said, was try to move into the wind and, um, you use the terrain. I try to, once I had my, my glassing spots, once I knew where they were, I tried to stay as low as I could in the drainages to not be as visible um, and pop up and glass. And I get back down and pop up and glass on the smaller Hills until I got there. And then I climb up and try to work my way around without being seen. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, just just stuff in there to, to hide you out there. Yeah. Did you yeah. feel like there's like a bubble, like, you know, within, you know, it's a thousand yards away, the deer don't care, you know, or was it, was it like um, within a, within a 800, 500, you know, where was it that you, did you, I mean, how many deer did you bump if, if you know, in that way? Yeah. The first, like that first day I mentioned seeing a, a small group of those with a spike, I bumped them at probably, 
Um, it was less than half a mile for sure. I'd say probably four or 500 yards and they weren't super spook and muley. That's the thing about muleys. Um, you know, they're kind of, uh, Achilles heel is that when you jump one, they, they generally always stop and look back. Like they're kind of little bunny hop bounce. Yeah. They'll kind <laughs> of you know, they bounce spooked. away and then they're going to stop and they're going to look back to check you out. And, uh, that's exactly what they did. And, um, but like, mm-hmm. there wasn't a legal buck anyway to really go after that group. But still, uh, I'd say probably four or five hundred yards. They they mm-hmm. saw me before I saw them. Sure. Um, and then the 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 second yeah the the second group I saw I mentioned about eight or nine does I saw they were about a half a mile, and I walked right over the hill and right down in front of them and sat down and took all my gear off and got wow. my spotter set up and and picked them up. I mean maybe 800 yards away across the drainage and they never, never even knew I was there. Um, they wow. were just bedded. They were facing me and yep. never had a clue I was there. So yeah, I think there is a little bit of a bubble, but I've also, when I was there this, this past year, you know, I've bumped them. You, you come over a hill, they're all, this, they're all over the place. Um, especially the whitetails. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, they're in these little crevices and I've bumped them up multiple deer just cause you can't see them until you get up until you crest sure. that next hill. And sure. You know, yeah. So, so let's, uh, yeah, let's dive into that here in just a minute, but I want to talk some more about the public land access. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've heard quite a bit is, you know, public land is, is really tough to find animals on. You're going to want to get some private land access. Did you find that to be true? And did you, did you line up any private land access while you're out there? Um, no and no, you know, I will say this though, the, 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 to your, the answer to your first question does have a, a little bit of a caveat. You know, I, I shot that mule deer the first mm-hmm. year I was there on the first day and, um, you know, haven't seen another mature mule deer buck in the next, the next two years I've hunted the whole week, the next two years and haven't been able to turn a mature muley up. I've seen a couple, mm-hmm. some spikes, um, some legal bucks, but nothing, nothing that I was willing to go shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has been hard to turn up some mature muleys out there. Um, I mean, if you're into shooting whitetails out there, which I know you guys are, going, are after muleys, but, uh, there's, there's quite a bit of whitetail out there in Nebraska, but, um, the muleys have been a little harder to come by and, um, but they're out. And, and that's the, th- is, is you, you know, the, I found that they're, they're generally a little bit deeper. Same thing you hear about most public land. Yeah. You, know, you gotta be mm-hmm. willing to hike a little, they're a little more reclusive, they're not as patternable. So, I mean, you, you put the work in there. I think they're out, out there. Yeah. You know, I've been able to turn up the does. I found that buck that year. Uh, I think they're out there, but it's just, it's going to take some work is what I mm-hmm. think is, is the pretty consistent thing that you're going to see. Um, the, well, sorry, what was your second question again? Well, so, so, and I guess maybe we should play off this before we start talking about the okay. private land side. <clears throat> Did you find oh, yeah. on public land plenty of, um, like mule deer habitat, you know? So was there, it seems like you need space for, for mule deer because they like it out there in the wide mm-hmm. open on those ridge tops. They're not down in those, those Creek bottoms or river bottoms. Like the whitetails are They're you know, you got to get up to some elevation in those, those Hills. Did a lot of the public land have room for good mule deer habitat? Did you feel? Or was it kind of like, yeah, this place is 90% whitetail haven and, you know, five, 5%, five 
you know, no man's land and then the last little 5%, yeah, that's decent muley habitat. Or was it like, no, there's there's plenty of muley habitat to explore? Right. I, I think it's been kind of a mixed bag. I think if you'd asked me that after the first hunt, I would have said, oh, there's plenty of muleys out here because that's yeah. really all I saw. Uh, I don't know if I saw in one day, I think I saw close to 20 muleys. You have wow. these groups together yeah. and I don't remember seeing one white tail that year. If I did there, it you know, weren't very many. The second year we saw a ton of white tail mm-hmm. uh, and a handful of muleys, especially at the end of the week. We didn't turn the muleys up till late in the week, but when we did, we found a big group of them, a couple of decent groups. Uh, and then last year I was there by myself and all I saw, it was like all white tail. Um, mm-hmm. I turned up one group of muleys. And I think there might've been a spike in that one too. So really just, if you'd asked me after the first time, I would have said, Oh no, there's plenty of muleys. And then the last couple of years, it hasn't been quite, quite as good. So, mm. um, and then again, it just may be, you know, like you said, they move a lot. They're not mm-hmm. in the same place all the time. And um, they go from hill to hill, from crest to crest. And, you know, sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time too. You know, you, you put in the work and, and you're out there glassing and spotting and you put the miles in, you still, you know, you got to be where the animals are. And, and so sometimes that's just part of it too. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's been kind of a mixed bag each, each year has been a little different. Yeah. Yeah. With access, did you find like two with these public land spots? One of the horror stories I've heard is that there's a lot of like multiple directions or like roads around them. So finding like a large enough piece has been, sometimes people have said like that I've listened to a couple podcasts that are like, yeah, like, you know, there's some smaller couple hundred acre pieces, mm-hmm. but there's roads on like two sides, which is good for wind access. Right. But right. did you find there was a certain, you know, you're like, Oh man, like there's, there's too many like smaller chunks with roads around it and like have to like eliminate those as you've learned. Yeah, a little more. I mean, honestly, I steer clear of those. Um, I just, because I, they're too easily accessible. I, I just assumed there was going to be more pressure in places like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, just a decision I made. I, I pretty much try to steer clear of those, those small parcels like that. Sure. Hmm, um, sure. Good, good to know. And did you, uh, you said you didn't seek out any private access, but did you get any like gauge on, you know, how difficult it would be to seek that out? Like, are you talking, you know, guys that do that, are they investing, you know, entire afternoons driving around trying to locate, the landowner's information so they can go to the right spot. And does it turn out to just be a waste of good hunting time? Do you feel, um, where if they just put that time into getting on, you know, getting going on some public land, they probably would have, you know, seen a better return of, of investment. Yeah, I, I unfortunately I think I'm probably a, a bad guy to ask that question. I mean, I don't know that I got a good gauge on it just because sure. of when I go. I go, I can't go till that day after Christmas, so I I make that one day shot out there, and then I have five days to hunt. So I wasn't concerned with, like you said, I didn't want to waste any time hunting time at that point in the season to mm-hmm. joke knocking on doors and trying to get access. So yeah, and and I don't know that you know if you're asking me about elk, I can tell you that the you know, the taxidermist there said that they're, they'd almost pay people to come up because they're farmers and they hate the elk. Mm. They just decimate their, their crops and stuff. And, uh, mm-hmm. he said, they're just kind of handing out access out there for elk. Really? But, um, but as far as mule, muleys, yeah, I don't know that I can answer. I have a good answer for that one on you or for you. Sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a good thing to consider, you know, is just how much time are you willing to invest in, 
and yeah. seeking that out. That's a that's a really good point. So, okay, well, um, you know, we're, we're talking all around it here. Let's maybe kind of lay it out in this cut and dry sort of way here. We, our tags are good for either mule deer or whitetails. I think we've established that the whitetails like the bottomland. Um, they like being around water just like they do here in Iowa and there in Ohio. Um, but mule deer are not whitetails. They have different, you know, different traits that make them, you know, more suitable for a different habitat. And so can you kind of lay out for us, uh, the, the, like, from what you've seen, the stereotypical, like, let's, let's put this in terms of fishing. You know, uh, I use the example, my father-in-law is like, when we go fishing together, we'll like pull into this little, this little slough or something about, Ooh, that's a fishy spot right there. You know, (laughs) what's a muley spot? Like when you're, when you're maybe either e-scouting or when, when your boots on the ground, what, like describe that stereotypical or prototypical, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, muley spot for us of habitat. But, but, yeah, and, and and that's the thing about out there is there's not the habitat's not very diverse. You know, mm-hmm. you've got those bottoms, and you'll have some water. You may have some trees around the water, but outside of that, it's just grass. Um, so the geo- the topography, I think, is the biggest thing I'm looking for. Um, mm, you know, what I've point. seen is, as I mentioned earlier, is those the 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 bigger muleys, the older muleys, even the ones that weren't real mature, but still at least the bucks, they tend to be higher than the does. Um, Mm -hmm. The does are generally at somewhere um, I I call like a mid-level topography for that topography. And, um, and they'll get, they like to, you know, just like any other, and they want to get out of the wind. They get out of the crevices. um, They try to keep the wind at their back, um, you know, but those, those older bucks, they're as high as they can get and uh, they want to see as much as they can see. And uh, that's the first thing I'm looking for. So I, I've, I try to keep that in mind, too. I mentioned picking glassing points earlier. Now that I've been there a few times, I know when I'm approaching these glassing points, I need to be careful because I may walk right up on one. Um, it might be like a gla- I might think of it as a glassing point, but it could very well be a bed to a mm. nice buck as I'm walking yeah, in. So point. I got to be mm. you're right, you got to be aware of that as I'm as I'm coming in. So. So, right. you, so so when you're doing that with the wind, if that, if that you said earlier there on that the leeward side. Mm-hmm. Are you kind of like, you know, so if the wind is, if my microphone here is the, you know, the peak of the hill and the muley's bedded here, the wind's coming over this way, mm-hmm. are you kind of like coming up this way, like, to, you know, kind of perpendicular to that wind direction? So if the wind's blowing from west to east, are you approaching from north or south or maybe even a little bit uh, downwind? of course, then risking getting spotted, you know, right. like, like doing like a, uh, a, a north, you know, approaching, let's see here if it's blowing from the West approaching from the Northeast. And I mean, did, did you game that at all? Yeah. So it's, it's not just, I mean, it's, it's a yes, yes. And, or a both. And to that is the answer that, or my answer to that question, question anyway. So, um, you know, there are times where, you know, you get to the trailhead and the, the, the first glassing spot, you know, the wind's coming right from it. And, I've, and so what I try to do is what you just described, try not to be uh, directly where the, or, um, 
where the uh, or sorry, not the wind, but where they're look they're going to be looking is is right where I'm coming from. So I'm trying to flank them a little bit and come mm-hmm. get some uh, get an angle on them at least a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But at the the thing about that that place is I, I think this is probably the, the answer to the question you're asking is that you're glassing all the time, right? Mm-hmm. I see you have to stop every couple of yards because yes, it's you know you're if you're trying to keep the wind in your favor, that means you're going to be visible. But you can't always avoid that either. It just depends on, on, on the situation. So yeah, every time you crest a hill, you got to stop and glass. You go down, you come mm-hmm. up over the next hill, you got to stop and glass. And uh, you may not, I don't get the spotter out every time. I at least got my binos out and I'm looking and trying to make sure there's nothing on that next hill that I'm sure. headed toward that's going to see me. Um, so, yes, I, you know, I'm keeping that in mind. I'm trying not to be in that direct line where I think they're bedded and facing me, mm-hmm. uh, knowing where the wind is, especially if I know I want to be on that hill. So I'm going to try to flank it a little bit. But then at the same time, you flank it, you're probably not going to see them either. Um, if you get that that side of the hill where you know they're probably yeah. bedding, you need to be able to at least see it from a distance. You don't want to get to where you can't see where you think they're going to bed anymore because uh, that's just as bad. They're going to walk right up on one and um, so it's kind of, it's, it's a, you know, it's a catch 22 on, on what you do. I just try to glass as much as I can as I'm walking in and make sure I keep my eyes on that side of that hill where I think they're, they're going to be. Yeah. That's, that's do you, did point. you habitat wise too? I know there's some areas that have, you know, maybe kind of getting towards some of that elevation too. Um, they have like the, some cedar trees mixed in, in some spots. Have you hunted those places ever? Or are you sticking strictly to that wide open sandhill prairie? True Sandhill Prairie, I guess. Pretty much, yeah. Um, you know, I've not, I don't, I've not been in a lot of places where it's been a ton. I've seen some of the cedar trees, but um, you know, I've not not hunted them as hard. I've seen some of those videos too. I've seen some of those guys that are in a lot of the cedars, but yeah, I've not been in those places too much. Pretty much the wide open prairies is where I've been. Did Did you find any overlap in habitat where you get a mixed bag of muleys and whitetails? Um, you know, hanging out in the same place or is it pretty stark? Yeah, it's not one. I've not seen them together one time. Um, the muleys mm-hmm. are with the muleys and the whitetails are, and even I've, I've, I've seen the, the whitetail does, I've seen them move in, in groups kind of like muleys do. Um, by that time of the year, they're, you know, they're, they're moving in groups, but never together. Um, I've seen antelope out there and same thing, which, um, not that you would expect them either to, right. them to intermingle either, but yeah, they, I've not seen them together at all. Okay. That's yeah. That's good to know. Um, food sources. Are they just, you know, browsing on, you know, whatever prairie plants are there? Yeah, pretty much prairie plants and shrubs. Um, you know, there's just not much out there and they just, yep. They just, they, and they don't stop much either. You know, they'll stop at water, uh, the white tails anyway, but, uh, um, you know, they just, they move when they're feeding, they're moving, um, mm-hmm. and they don't stop in too many places. They're just moving a lot. Did you identify um, any like traits or sp- maybe even species that they were after, uh, specifically while you were out there? Um, no, I don't know that I would, like I said, I'm not from out there and, and, uh, sure. I don't know that I would know a lot of those species anyway. I've, I have, uh, I've learned pretty quickly, uh, what, a, how, uh, the prickly pear cactus, what it feels like. So, uh, <laughs> I can identify one of those pretty good now and, uh, got a bunch of prickly pears out there, huh? Yeah, there's a few. Yeah. We, um, we were trying to, I think if you watched that second video, it was, I don't know that I got it on video. 
but when we were crawling to to shoot the whitetail I shot that year, I got into a cactus and we Whoa. had to stop our stock so that Brian could help me pull it out. And uh, oh man, yeah, Whoa. it's it's all right. But so yeah, I can. And uh, I do remember on that first trip, what did I see? Uh, I think it was in the video too. I, I said something like, "Oh, I'm like a little kid out here because I've seen all that stuff for the first time." Yeah. Um, I can't remember what planet it was, but I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that I I would have I would be able to identify enough species for them to to, to pick up on what they were feeding on. Maybe for something sure. I need to get better at. But no, I think uh, I think it makes sense. You know, you got such a you know foreign landscape to yeah somebody from Ohio. That's that's all new. So. Um, I imagine just from my experience with uh, a prairie species, they're probably, you know, you're not going to get a ton of value for, I mean, that stuff is basically straw when it dries mm-hmm. out, you know, not so much hay, you know, and, yeah. but they can still, you know, there's still plants in there that they can, they can get some browse value from, but, but uh, I imagine it's a lot of the seeds, especially the legume species. There's a lot, there's tons of native uh, legume species that uh, um, they probably, that'd be my guess is what they're kind of, kind of keying in on, but we'll find out when we get there, <laughs> I hope, you know, and uh, I'll, I'm definitely want to kind of break down what all is happening, how they're using the landscape and, and uh, hopefully helps us, you know, if we make a return voyage, sounds like it's a pretty, a, uh, it's a place that draws you back if you've uh, gone this many times now, Robbie. Oh, so. it's, I tell people it's probably one of my, if, if not one of one of my, it's probably my favorite hunt. Just, it's so pretty. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's serene. It's very, it's just quiet and tranquil. And, um, you know, I've enjoyed having a friend when I took, when Brian mm-hmm. went with me, but I also, I've, I've enjoyed going by myself. It's, it's just really uh, a, a beautiful place. And, cool. um, yeah, I, I, I just, I enjoy going out there and, and, you know, last year I didn't shoot a real big buck and I actually didn't even film that one. And, um, but I was just as happy cause I just, just spending the week out there was, was really cool for me. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. Now, um, uh, you know, Caleb kind of talked about this and you alluded to this too, Robbie, the importance of topography. We have Caleb and I have a friend who lives up in, uh, Alberta canada and uh he's invited us to go shed hunting with him and he talks about how you know there's probably actually a pretty similar landscape um i think that's probably uh it's probably more of a mixed grass prairie i would think than a where the sand hills that's pretty well short grass um at least uh that's that's how it seems to me not a lot of the the taller grass species that are mixed in with uh the prairie there but um, he talks about finding a ton of sheds, um, which, you know, that would be close. Shedding season would be close to late muzzy season. Um, in coolies, you know, those little uh, those little kind of washout depressions in between hills, almost like little mini valleys. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find that to be true, that there were a lot of, you know, like you'd, you'd come up on a coolie and, you know, you know, there goes, you know, five deer busting out of there that – that you didn't expect to be down in there. Yeah, that's, that's actually what I was talking about. I was talking about the whitetail. I, I bumped several whitetails. That's exactly where I was. You, you, you kind of, you know, you've got this high point. I'm trying to work my way around so I can either get up there or just make sure I'm not seen. And, and I'm, so you're kind of going up and down in these, and I've done that multiple times, just kind of happen right up onto a bunch of whitetails. Okay. Uh, so it's you always want. Well, I've done it to some muleys a couple of okay. times too. And um, thankfully it's never been, 
you know, one of those big bucks that, that I'm looking for, but, uh, yeah. you know, it, it could easily happen. Cause yeah, they, that's where they, especially when it's windy. Um, and if they're feeding, that's where I find them feeding a lot is, uh, cause they can feed out mm-hmm. of the wind there. Mm. Almost like pheasant sure. and Caleb. Yeah. It sounds like last year. Yeah. Like just that warmth. They're trying to get sunlight. It's mm-hmm. like shedding, shedding almost spots. Like they want warm out of the wind. Yeah, yeah, but I'm sure as those thermals start to drop, they probably move up even. Yeah, I don't well, know. well, they find they probably find more control. You know what I mean? Like, like when you're out in the wind, you know, you're everything, every your entire environment is like out of control then. But if you can, you know, get get down in a you know low wind area, then uh, you you can have a little bit more control over what's happening in the environment around you. So I imagine that's what brings a lot of those animals into those types of areas. But yeah. So very interesting there. I, I think we should build that into our plan, Caleb, where we, you know, anytime yeah. we see like a good deeper coulee, you know, treat it like a stocking opportunity and, and uh, yeah. see what, see what we can turn up. But sounds like okay. slow going too. Just yeah. Slow over the top, yeah. Right? Got it real yep. slow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you, sure. you learn real quick to be patient out there. Yeah. Like you, I mean, you just it's so easy to be seen in um places where you really don't think you're gonna find any deer and all of a sudden you pop over the hill and there 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 they are. And so yeah, you gotta learn to be real patient and and move slow. Yep. Yep. So uh you kind of talked about this when you told us our, your story of of your successful twenty twenty one hunt. Um you know, you, you talked about glassing your way into a hunt. I think that's a good way to describe it. Um, so do you bother then, I guess, like kind of walk us through a day of, of mealy hunting here. Do you, are you like, yep, we're going to hunt from dark to dark. You know, I'm going to be walking out there in the, you know, while the moon is still up in the sky and, and, uh, I'm going to be getting to this point that I have marked out on my, my, uh, map. And, uh, you know, are like, like, uh, when do you show up and, and how do you just get the ball rolling? I guess. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, you know, for there, you know, know, different hunts are different, but when I'm there, I don't make it a point to get there before the sun's up, just to be honest, you know, Mm -hmm. sun's up. Usually when I get there, I I try to be there early because I do want to be there when the deer are at least still moving. Um, it's, you know, obviously it's a little easier seeing when they're moving than it is when they're bedded. But, sure. um, so I, I don't get there though at dark and I'll work my way in slow. And I mentioned earlier, you, I, I glass a lot as I'm working my way in and, um, you know, I usually have three to four spots picked out, uh, for the day and I have a plan in place and you know, don't always stick exactly to it based on what the deer are doing. But, um, so I'll try to get to that first spot and I'll work my way in pretty slow and, and I'll usually spend a couple of hours at a spot. And, you know, if I haven't turned anything up, uh, um, you know, by the time, you know, I usually try to move that, make that first move before lunch. Um, it's kind of in my head what I'm thinking. And so, you know, I get that first spot, I glass for a couple hours. If I haven't turned anything up, I'm going to move again. And usually my next spot's usually about a mile away. Uh, mm-hmm. just, just how I kind of try to do, I try to move by, you know, at least a mile away. Cause I can generally see that, that far pretty easily anyway. So I'll get to that next spot and, and sit down and do the same thing for a couple of hours and, and just try to work that. Like I said, I try to, it's almost kind of like a circle is what I try to do on the map. So I start at the trailhead, I'll work my way into the wind to the one spot and just try to work my way around where I can just keep looking out into that wind all day. And at the end of the day, I can work my way back to the truck. 
Um, and so I, I don't know that there's a real science to how I came up with that. It's just kind of what I'm, what I, what I do. Um, just try to give myself as many opportunities to see into that, look into that wind as possible, uh, sure. where I know they're probably going to be vetted on that side. Sure. Are you hunting any sign? Like, are you like cutting tracks and then, you know, taking off after them or. Yeah, or- I've you it's the only time i'd be able to do that when there was snow on the ground you know you're not going to see a lot of tracks out there right i've come across some some fresh droppings and um you know it at least causes me to pause and to try to look around and maybe try to get a little higher so i can see what's around me but yeah you're just not going to see a lot of tracks out there but there was when that snow came down last year the year before i got on some tracks and i tried to follow them as far as i could and it was the snow had come early that morning and by midday it was start already starting to melt. So I, I didn't get to follow them too far, but um, I followed them for a little ways, but outside that there's, yeah, you're just not gonna get to see too many tracks out there. Yeah. So you're truly hunting topography. That's what mm-hmm. this keeps coming back to. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that that's super helpful to know that, you know, cause that's yeah. pretty, that's pretty simplified for, you know, where to target in our game plan and our e-scouting. You know, we need to have all that stuff, all that stuff, uh, you know, basically put in into play for us. So I think it's uh, I think it's super helpful to be able to to narrow it down like that to just hunting that topography. So, uh, Caleb, did you have any more like um, uh, questions on, you know, from the tactical standpoint? No, I think I think I was the elevation thing is kind of just stuck out to me. Like we we're just talking about the mm-hmm. topography and. And, uh, it sounds like there's are, you know, my main thing was with those access points, you know, with, as far as like having multiple different angles to go into, but it sounds like if you get to a big enough piece, you can kind of just circle mm. the piece so that the wind remains in your favor and you can kind of check a box off and like section it off. Would that be kind of right? Like, yeah, that's pretty, yeah, yeah, that's a good way. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, when it comes time for the shot, and obviously even leading up to this, you can see this in the video. And I talked about this earlier, you know, when you're closing that final distance, being as careful to stay, you know, play the contours of the land really as looked like what you were doing, you know, the cover is going to be pretty well uniform, but, but, uh, using the contours of the land, it seemed like is what you were doing. You were like right on, you know, right just below the crest of that little Mm -hmm. ridge there looking into him at his bed. But then when it comes time to squeeze the trigger, um, I assume, but I really should do some research on this. This is something I try to act ask people about more often because I've struggled with this from an archery standpoint. Uh, your shot placement. Are you just uh, kind of going right behind the shoulder? Are you going for the tip of that vital V and you know trying to go for broke there and, and taking the top of the heart off? Are you doing the high shoulder shot? I mean, what... What was your uh, your aim point um, on the on a mule deer? Yeah, so that muley, um, like I said earlier, he was he was bedded and you know kind of quartering away. Even though if he's standing, he would have been quartering away. Um, so I wasn't going for the tip of the vital V there. Um, you know, I was trying to play that that quartering away shot um, into both lungs, um, and I was mm-hmm. waiting on him to kind of roll back up a little bit where I could see his body a little bit better and. Um, what and trying to, I didn't, you know, the, the heart's a little bit lower. I didn't want to be that low with him on the ground. Right. So I was basically just trying to use that quartering away trying to be right in the middle of the top and the bottom 
of his body um, just because I knew I had the biggest uh, target, biggest area of his vitals available sure. to me there. Um, like I said, I, I, sh- I did shoot him a little bit high and he stood up and, um, you know, the second time when he turned, I'll just be honest with you, when he turned and started walking and then he paused, it was one of those moments where I didn't know if he was going to take off again or not. So mm-hmm. I just and shot. I didn't, you know, I didn't looking at the heart there. I just knew I had a shot. I was able to, to calm myself and collect myself enough to take that shot. And I just put it on him and shot him the second time. Yeah. But, but the first time I was very intentional just because of the way he was bedded. Uh, I knew yeah. that I wasn't going to be able to go that low onto his body. I needed to be in the center of those vitals just because of what I could see. Sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. That's good to have that information and, and, um, you know, something that, like I said, I need to do a little studying on just to really understand their anatomy and, and know where those, those, uh, points of impact need to be to get a good clean, uh, kill. So, uh, we don't need a, uh, miles long, uh, blood trail, uh, no. the, the sand hill. <laughs> no. oh, man. Yeah. You don't want that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So, Here's kind of my last question for you. What do you do when nothing is working? Like, you know, say you've you've hit all these high points and there's just nothing going on. Like, what do, have you started to learn from doing this trip enough times now that, okay, I can always – it's kind of like let's go back to fishing again, right? When nothing's working, um, one of the things I love to do is either rig up a worm wacky style – or uh, I just drag whatever lure I have as fast as I possibly can across the surface of the water just to get like an agitation strike. And, uh, um, you know, it's it's kind of like when nothing else is working, I can still throw this out there and, and might have some success. Have you learned anything like that um, with Nebraska hunting there in the sand hills? Um, that, man, you know, I really thought I was going to have a great opportunity here, but man, it's the last day. I just need to fill a tag. What do you do when nothing else is working? Yeah. So I, I don't have a problem with packing up camp and taking off. You know, if I've gone too full, I think if that's, even though we didn't shoot a mule deer that year when Brian was with me, then we spent two full days in one at one trailhead in one area and just weren't seeing any muleys at all. So we just packed up and we drove probably a couple hours, um, to, to another spot, completely different spot and, um, turned up some muleys when we got there, not one we wanted to shoot, but, um, mm-hmm. but still at least we were able to get into some when we got there. So yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, be willing to move and, and, or I don't have a problem with hiking for last year. Actually, as a matter of fact, I did that. I just, you know, I was already several miles in and wasn't planning to go any further, but I saw some deer on a ridge and couldn't tell what they were. And I had enough daylight left. I said, well, I'm going over there. And that was another mile and a half, you know, from where I had that I, from what I'd planned on doing. So um, there's just so much space there. It's hard for me to ever get to a place where I feel like, you know what, there's just no deer. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's just so much out there, so much space out there. So I may not be seen anywhere I'm at, but that doesn't mean if I'm willing to hike another half mile to a mile that just throw over that next ridge, that there's not going to be sure. something because I that's happened many times too. So yeah. um, just willing to go a little bit further or, or like I said, if you just, if you're really not seeing what you want to see, we've, you know, packed up and, and just went, somewhere completely different too, if it's not working out. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that's great advice. And, um, I think that's kind of what Caleb and I have already talked about too. That's one of, yeah. one of the reasons we're wanting to camp is just that flexibility. Yeah. You don't have to be so tied to a town or something like that where your lodging is. Right. Um, you can, 
kind of go, you know, roll with the punches a little bit. So I think, uh, I think that's, uh, you know, what we wanted to hear is get, get out there and try a new opportunity. Mm. And, uh, then you always have those options kind of banked away. So, yeah, that's, that's great news to, to hear that, that, that kind of has worked for you guys in the past. So, well, we're, uh, we're nearing the end here of the, our interview. It's been, this has just been a fantastic conversation. I was it's very much looking forward to this. Um, just, just working through this with you again. I know it's kind of a self-serving podcast, but hopefully it's inspirational to our listeners as well to maybe take a look out there to the sand Hills. It's not like we're going to blow it up. There's only a thousand <laughs> tags. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so yeah, but maybe some people are going to want to try some new opportunities next year. And if you live in the Midwest, like you, you alluded to earlier, you know, it is a Western hunt. Um, <clears throat> my dad once told me when I was a kid, he grew up, uh, just across the river from Omaha in, in council bluffs, Iowa. And, uh, he, uh, told me, uh, he was, he used to drive us around his old stomping grounds as, as a kid. And, and, um, he, he, drove us onto this one street and he said, we always heard as kids, you know, when we were kids that this is where the West officially begins and like the Midwest ends. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, I think it absolutely is appropriate to consider Nebraska as a Western state, especially when you look like North and South of the border where it's at, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, just over the border to the, to the West is Colorado. So, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely right there in the West, but, um, you know, it's hopefully something that everyone can kind of look at as a, you know, an overlooked spot that could be very much a reality for getting into that first Western hunt. And I think this will be your first Western hunt, right, Caleb? Yeah. Oh yeah. The first, so, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to do it the triple state this year, Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska. So that'll be kind of yeah, fun. Yeah, be nice. awesome. Nice. So yeah, it's a good thing to to for everyone to cut their teeth on. Um you're a first gen hunter though, Robbie. Can you tell us the story of your first ever uh harvest as a hunter? Yeah. Um uh oh gosh. So yeah, my my dad hunted when I was younger and, and um I went with him so I never really got into it. I just busy doing other stuff. I played a lot of sports and sure just wasn't on my plate. So um when I got older, I don't know, I told my wife actually I said I think the correlation between when I got into hunting, it was a direct correlation to when my body started telling me not to play sports anymore. Yeah. Uh, that I couldn't <laughs> handle it anymore. So yeah. anyway, um so I just, I guess I took a notion. I started asking my dad, I said, Hey, won't, won't you take me hunting this year? And, um, so we shot a little bit and I'd go out with him. I went a couple of years and saw some deer, never had a shot, never got a shot off. And, um, then actually my, my father-in-law had a little piece of land that had very little timber. It was like five acres and maybe an acre of it was timbered, wow. and, but they were deer that was in a good spot. It was, there was, it was the top of a drainage um, or top of a hill here in the Southern Ohio. And there's a Creek at the bottom and um, just, we knew there were deer down there. So I, my, I got a tree stand and hung it up and I hunted that one little acre for, and I actually hunted that spot for probably three or four years before I ever hunted anywhere else. And um, I uh, actually, that first year, I take it back. I didn't have a tree stand yet. I just sat on the ground on a log and uh, first day of gun season, a doe walked by, and you know, she might have been 15 yards away. And I, I that was my first. Oh, just walked right in front awesome. of me. It was my first deer. And then that last mm-hmm. day of that season, 
I went back out the only two days I hunted and I wasn't into bow hunting at all yet or anything like that. I only gun hunted at the time and uh, went out the second time and a buck walked by the way. He wasn't tiny, but he was an eight pointer and he wasn't huge, but um, in that exact same spot. And I shot him too. And, you know, just kind of hooked after that. And um, when you were talking earlier about getting into bow hunting and that's really, I I hardly gun hunt at all. You know, I go on that muzzle loader hunt Mm -hmm. um, and that's really, I spend more time, that's more days muzzle loader hunting in Nebraska than I do with any gun in Ohio. So um, I'm more of a bow hunter here and um, just love that's, that's the thing that I'm really into. And um, even like the public land whitetail hunts I've gone on, it's, it's generally been bow hunts. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was my first, uh, that doe and that, that buck. So. Well, love to hear it. That was a, a good memory. I wasn't expecting to talk about that tonight. So, uh, no, it's good. good. It's good. It's good. About. It's good to yeah. throw those stories in. They're fun to hear, but also they're inspirational, you know, just like, yeah. uh, you know, after I saw, so the other really good video I saw was, um, uh, you know, a friend of ours through this show, Jake Hofer of X's trail cameras. Mm-hmm. We had him on a few months ago. He went out there with uh, the guy, one of the guys from Last Breath uh, TV, um, which also uh, they're kind of based out of the area where Caleb and I came from, you yep. know, where we grew up. Um, so we know a lot of the same people. But um, uh, Jake and one of their guys, they went out there and and hunted, and they kind of got a mixed bag as well. I think they, I think uh, Jake got a a white tail and he got a muley cause you can buy up to yeah. two tags. Yeah. Um, and then I think his, uh, hunting buddy got like, uh, I think he, I want to say he got a, uh, muley as well. Um, but, uh, you know, like that was, that was great seeing that that gave me some confidence. However, they, um, did get some private access permission, which is where I think they, I think they harvest all their deer on private mm-hmm. land, which is not, I'm not knocking that or anything, yeah. but obviously that's, that makes it harder to replicate, you know, because there's no guarantees that, you you know, we would be able to go out there and, and find the right access and, and get, actually get permission. So seeing you do that on public land by yourself, your first time, you know, obviously, you know, we all know luck goes into every successful hunt to some extent, you know, some extent like the animal has to be there, but, um, you obviously put together a very good plan and making it happen. And it gave me a lot of, you know, hope that if Caleb and I do a good job planning this thing, you know, we can, we can make it happen. So, and, uh, I think that hearing your first gen hunter story there, um, yeah. You know, that's, that's inspirational to other people that come on the podcast and maybe are very early in their hunting, maybe haven't even started it. And they're just still kind of kicking it around. Like, uh, you were at one point, Robbie, and I was at one point and they, they want to know, is this even, you know, something that's, that's achievable. So hearing those stories helps them see that absolutely it is. Um, but it's still a process. It's still a journey. Yeah. Um, you're, I'm sure a much better, nebraska mule deer hunter in 2023 than you were you know in 2020 or 2021 whenever it was that you did your first your first trip out there so that's going to be part of it too it you know we're gonna it's going to be a learning experience no matter what but really appreciate you coming on the show though robbie um people can see your content we talked about i'm gonna post the link in the show notes but also um you got an instagram page right yeah what's the what's the handle on that it is uh at buck fever family 
at Buck Fever Family. Awesome. Yeah. So you can get on there and you can see some of the good content that Robbie puts up there, some of his successful hunts and everything. And and uh, if you go back again, you can see the the YouTube videos. Do you, are you going to do any more filming in the future, do you think? Uh, yeah. You know, I've, I've taken it. And that's what I was saying. That's why I'm grinning. Um, I don't know if you post the video of the, of the podcast or not, but because um, I told you earlier before we started, you know, I, I didn't really start either one of those things to create. I did it. It was something I did with my kids. And yeah. uh, so, you know, most of my film, if you go on the, the YouTube page, it's, it's videos of them and it's not really videos of me. There's a handful of me and um, the Instagram page is really the same thing. It's just us outside and doing stuff outdoors. Um, so, you know, I plan to hunt, you know, my son is going this, we're going on the Nebraska trip ourselves this year. It's his first time out there. He's 12. So I'm definitely going to video that one for nice. sure. Uh, and any, really, anytime I take the kids out, I've got a camera with me. Um, but as far as I get, you know, if, if I'm going somewhere by myself without the kids, um, they like to see what I'm doing. And so I, I tend to film it at least some of it. And there's times I'm, I'm good at it and time like last year, um, I just didn't do a good job. I was out there and I, I like I said, I got a deer out there last year, but um i just didn't do a good job i wasn't that much i guess for whatever reason and sure um but uh i generally always have it with me but I'm definitely gonna gonna film his hunt he's excited to go and, and to get out there and, um you know even if he just just gets to see it that's that's what i'm excited for just to get him out there but you know he's determined yeah. he's gonna bring one home too though that's great that's great yeah. I, hope, I hope you guys double yeah. up and uh just uh thank you again to robbie and caleb for jumping on this one with me this is a great conversation um, thank one. you to the listeners as well for tuning in each and every episode. Uh, we do this show for you. We want you to get good hunting content that's going to help you progress as a hunter. Um, of course, you know, there's nothing wrong with if you're content with every year you uh, trudge out to the old reliable box blind and, uh, uh, you know, you smell like bacon grease and uh, <laughs> fried eggs. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Keep doing that. But. Yeah. Hopefully for those of you that kind of want to maybe, you know, push yourselves a little bit, hopefully you're finding that content here. I think this episode definitely provided it uh, for me and I'm sure it did for you as well. So uh, thank you uh, so much again to, to Robbie for coming on. Please remember everyone tuning in. If you have not yet, get going with Spartan Forge. Um, Spartan Forge is the presenting sponsor of this podcast. I just talked to a guy on, uh, let's see here, Saturday. And uh, he was uh, complaining about another um, mapping service that was expensive. And I was like, you know what? You can get that for free if you just download Spartan Forge. They'll give you all the mapping uh, information you need for property boundaries, doing some e-scouting. But if you really want the advanced layering that they have and also uh, the deer behavior prediction to figure out what kind of deer movement you can expect for each day. What's that based off of, Kent? Is it based off of just some old deer hunter who says, well, you know what? I've noticed that on days like that. No, it's radio collar data, thousands of years of radio collar data. Robbie's a, a principal. He's a data man. You got to do all that standardized testing and all That's that right. stuff that your, right. that your job yeah. depends on. But, um, uh, no, data is key, and that's what it's as good as it gets. It's radio collar data that's tuned for your exact GPS location. Uh, AI sifts through all that data. They look at your conditions, and it determines what is most probably going to be 
uh, the deer movement patterning for that day. And it is spooky accurate. I've used it now for multiple deer seasons. Going to be using it for my third. And it's very affordable. You get all the mapping for everywhere, all 50 states for $29.99. If you do the year-long annual subscription like Caleb and I do, or if you want to just have it for those handful of months that you're going to be hunting, um, you can do it. I think it's seven ninety nine, if I remember correctly. And if that is incorrect, it's not much more than that. So there's a couple different options there. I definitely recommend going with the annual one. It's a little bit better deal. Plus, you have access year long, so you can do e scouting year long. You can find a link for Spartan Forge in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. Uh, go to my link tree there, and you can get hooked up and uh, get going with Spartan Forge. We also mentioned. East to West Hunts, our buddy Alex Gruen founded East to West Hunts many years ago. He's been helping hunters all over the country get going with their um, own uh, specific hopes and dreams within hunting. And uh, there's not a better person in the business to do it. Just got a testimony. We're going to actually have him on the podcast this uh this week, um, a happy cu- client of Alex who just shot a monster muley with his bow in full velvet. Alex planned the whole hunt for him. And uh, just like they say on the A-team, um, we, Alex loves it when a plan comes together. And so uh, that's that's uh, exactly what you can count on if you go with him. Go to eastwesthunts.com. Tell him that you heard about his services on this podcast say hey alex i uh, heard about you on the first gen hunter podcast you'll get 10 percent off of your services booked with alex and that goes for renting gear that goes for tag applications that goes for setting putting together a hunt plan to help you get in the right spot to get the job done um all of that you know even help line up a taxidermist for you if you're out out of state somewhere and you gotta you need to be doing that so go to eastwesthunts.com and uh, tell them that i sent sent you there so and then finally our newest sponsor old barn taxidermy world-class taxidermy taxidermy that people all around the nation uh go to because of their reputation of being high quality work Caleb is a customer of theirs. I'm a longtime customer of theirs. Old Barn Taxidermy down in Fort Madison, Iowa. They are the place to be. Um, you, you really cannot, you just don't go with cheap taxidermy. If your neighbor's like, oh, yeah, I've done a deer mount before, don't do it, man. Don't do it. You'll regret it forever. You know, if, if I were to say to you when you're staring there at that ugly, um, monstrosity hanging on your garage wall because your wife won't let you put it in the house. If I said, hey, if if would you pay an extra $300 right now to get that thing professionally done? You would absolutely say, yes, I would pay that. So just do it up front. Don't go with cheap, nasty taxidermy. Go with the professionals. Go over to Old Barn Taxidermy. And I got to say, their deer mounts are very affordable. Um, I think it is, uh, if I remember correctly, six ninety five for a, a uh, shoulder mount, and uh, the national average nine hundred bucks. And you might be like, "Well, yeah, maybe they don't do very many." No, 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 no. They do over five hundred whitetail shoulder mounts a year, plus all the turkeys, plus mountain lions, plus bear rugs, plus elk, plus muleys, plus fish. All this stuff they do it all right there at Old Barn Taxidermy. Now, here's the key. If you do go to Old Barn Taxidermy, tell them I sent you there because they want to know that our partnership is working out, and I don't blame them. 
And uh, I hope that it is. And because uh, I really like working with Old Barn Tax Room. So tell them that the First Gen Hunter podcast sent you there when you go there to get your professional quality, uh, top of the class taxidermy work done. Old Barn Taxidermy. You can find a link for them in the show notes as well. Well, thank you again, everyone. Please leave a five-star review if you haven't yet. That helps other ears hear this podcast and hopefully get educated by great voices in the hunting world like Robbie, like Caleb, and so many others that come on this show. Um, it's, it's really what makes it uh, a great project and uh, one that I'm always excited to do. So thank you again, everyone. And until next time, take care and take someone hunting.